This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today is, uh, uh, well, you all are. You're joining me today. Pastor Sam Kasten-Smith, who's usually here with me, who's our pastor of spiritual formation. He's away for the week. Um, he's been working this summer on updating some of his textbooks. You may not know that he's a published author, but he is. And uh, his books are mostly textbooks um, that uh, middle school and high school Christian schools use, um, theology textbooks. And uh, he's working on some new editions of those over the summer, so he's off uh, hopefully slaving over a hot keyboard and being productive. And today I'm flying solo. This is, however, going to be another in our series, All Things New. This is week four of All Things New. If this is the first time that you've tuned in to one of these, um, this is a series of podcasts that Sam and I are doing in support of the message series, All Things New, that's going on right now at Rio Vista Community Church. It's a particularly interesting uh, series to me because it is comparing the book of Ecclesiastes and the writings of Solomon to the letter to the Philippians in the New Testament and the writings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and the two of them are different at a very fundamental level. Uh, Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you've not read Ecclesiastes very much, uh, you may not be acquainted with its style, and when you come to it for the first time, it's a little disconcerting. As Sam said a few weeks ago, uh, Solomon, until you get to the last chapter in Ecclesiastes, Solomon sounds like he's writing a suicide note. Um, it's just, it is a book that is full of despair <laughs> at every turn, um, and it can be difficult to process it sometimes. But when you understand that what Solomon is doing is that he's writing about life under the sun and writing about it with an assumption that there's nothing above the sun. He's coming to us and saying, hey, if there was no God, here's all you have to look forward to. Solomon was known as a king who was extremely wise. He was known as a king that was extremely successful and wealthy. Um, I've heard some people say that his wealth, uh, as best it can be reconstructed, in today's dollars would be uh, $2 trillion. So he could, uh, he could afford to buy himself a couple of Bill Gates's fortunes. So a very wealthy, a very powerful king, one that brought a lot of peace and prosperity to the nation of Israel, and somebody who was renowned for his wisdom. And he said, look, I have looked at everything that's been done by me, all of my achievements, my wealth, uh, everything that's being done in the nation. I've looked at everything that's been done by you all. You know, I've considered life under the sun from one end to the other, and what I've come up with is it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. It's all smoke. Um and Paul's letter to the Philippians is very different. You know, Paul was someone who had given up everything. Um, he had given up any wealth or status he had. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He had been trained by Gamaliel, who is acknowledged as being one of the greatest instructors of that time. He was somebody that had power and had status uh, in his community. He also was a Roman citizen. Paul was born a Roman citizen in, um, I think it's Acts. Yeah, it's Acts chapter 22. Uh, Paul had been arrested 
And it says that when they tied him up, Paul said to the centurion who was standing nearby, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who's uncondemned? The centurion then went to the tribune who, who was in charge of this whole proceeding and said, hey, 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 this guy's a Roman citizen. So the tribune comes down and asks Paul, said, tell me, are, are you a Roman citizen? Uh, and he said, yes, Paul answered him. The tribune said, you know, it cost me a large sum of money to get my citizenship because you could buy Roman citizenship at the time. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So somebody with a great deal of uh, influence and power and perhaps wealth, he'd given all of that up. And he had poured himself out into the ministry, founding churches, missionary journeys, going and ministering to existing churches. This is a guy who had given his entire life over after he had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He'd given his entire life over uh, to the ministry, really just poured everything into it. So just the opposite of Solomon. You know, here's Solomon, a guy that was that was powerful and successful, and he was somebody that said, despite everything I have, it's all meaningless. And you have Paul on the other side who'd given up everything, had nothing except what he had done in terms of investing in others, and he was constantly rejoicing and telling others to be glad, even though he himself was going to be sacrificed for the cause. What was the difference between those two? Well, Solomon was talking about life under the sun, assuming nothing above the sun. And Paul was talking about life beyond the sun, life beyond the grave, life beyond this world, the next world. And that was the difference between the two of them. Solomon says the grave is going to rob you of everything. And Paul is saying the grave isn't going to take anything from you. You know, death has no victory. Death doesn't even have a sting anymore. That when it's my time to go, I'm going to a better place. I'm going to be with my Lord and it's going to be great. You know, to, I will depart. It's going to be far better for me. So just the difference in perspective between those two books has been fascinating. And each week we look at something that Solomon talks about pursuing. In week two, we examined uh, the pursuit of money and wealth. In week three, we examined the pursuit of pleasure and living for the moment and doing what feels good. And here in week four, we're looking at the pursuit of meaningful labor or you know what you get from all of your hard work. In Solomon's case, he's talking about a great deal of money. <laughs> you know, he, he had amassed quite a bit, and he was upset about looking at to what was going to happen next. You know, the grave was going to rob him of the enjoyment of all of the toils of, of, and the labor that he had put in, everything that he had managed to, to amass and put together. He was going to lose all of that to whoever it was that came next, and he really wasn't happy about that at all. Paul, by contrast, has invested his labor, his toil, his life in the people that he was ministering to at Philippi. And uh, as a result of that, even though he had nothing to show for it in this world, he was he knew that his labor and his race would not be in vain because he would be standing together with those he'd invested in in the day of Christ. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, in one respect, is a little bit like uh, the Matrix movies. <laughs> you know, this is it's Wednesday as I record this. Uh, we record the podcast on Wednesdays typically, and it comes out on Thursday morning. And on Tuesdays, so yesterday, Tuesday each week, our staff gets together to uh, talk about our personal worship, uh, the study notes that have come out, and our own reflections on the first couple of days of it, um, just to kind of come together for a little devotional time and talk these things over. Uh, yesterday, it was uh, our ministry operations pastor, Matt Lominick, said, you know, uh, 
Ecclesiastes and Solomon's a little bit like the Truman Show, that movie with uh, Jim Carrey, where he was in a, like a little bubble that was sort of a – it was a, a, the world's largest soundstage and studio, and he was in this manufactured environment where uh, he thought he was living in the real world, but he wasn't. Uh, and the, everything that was that was real was above the sun, and the sun in this case was just a bunch of lights up in the top of the studio – but that idea that the that the real world is out there somewhere it's outside of us we're living in this in this bubble in this in this little stage world that the real the reality is just much bigger than that and when you become aware that it exists like Truman did then that's really what you want to go find and then our worship pastor Ryan Brazington said no 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 it's more like the matrix you know it's like it's like the the uh, the unreal is in and through and among us. It's like we're living in this illusion um, at the same time as we're living in reality. Uh, and it's almost like, it's again, it's almost like the Matrix, uh, to which Matt responded, yeah, it's almost as though Solomon spends, you know, the entire book of Ecclesiastes telling you, take the blue pill, take the blue pill, take the blue pill, until you get to that final chapter, and then he's like, whoops, you should have taken the red pill. <laughs> so without further ado and, and rambling, let's go ahead and get into it. What we're going to be looking at in this podcast is the difference between investing in things and building a legacy of wealth and accomplishment and then investing in people and that your legacy would be the people for whom you spent your life. So Solomon here, as we come to this passage, Solomon's upset because he's got to leave behind everything that he's toiled for to someone else. And he has no idea whether the person that inherits that from him is going to be wise or a fool. Our passage from Ecclesiastes is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's look at verses 18 and 19 here. It reads, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. You know, Solomon was looking to the fact that everything that he had built, everything that he could look around and be happy about, all of these things were going to be given to someone else, and he was going to have no control over who that was. In Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples this parable. It says, And he, Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You talk to yourself that way? Soul? Mark? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That parable about the wealthy man expanding his barns, it's like he's making all this provision in this world, thinking about his future in this world under the sun, only to have his life come abruptly and unexpectedly to an end. We don't always have control over when that handoff will happen, but it will happen at some point. And if if our legacy is something that we've put together in this world, if we're proud about our accomplishments here, 
that could even be something amazing, like some great business that we've built or some foundation that we're responsible for or a track record of charity work or just investing in our family, the lives of our children. All of these are fine legacies. And in the culture of that day, that was a big thing that you were supposed to do. You were supposed to create this family wealth, this generational wealth, and pass it on to those that came after you. So it was an entirely, uh, you know, a normal thing. It was the way that they all thought. They all thought about this legacy. But Solomon began to despair a little bit, to think, you know what? We don't really know what's going to happen to all of this, the next person that comes on after me. I've got no say in what they do. I've got no ability to control it. I can appreciate it while I'm here. I can appreciate it while I can look at it and and enjoy it and see the benefits of it right now. But I know that that's meaningless, that that's empty, because eventually it's going to go and be handed over to someone else. In Solomon's case, it was his son Rehoboam who turned out to not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. Now, unlike Solomon's lament in Ecclesiastes, Paul was toiling by investing himself into the lives of the believers in the churches that he founded or ministered in. Now, Paul's pride that he he talks about being proud in the day of Christ, which is on the other side of the grave, that pride would come from the Philippians' spiritual growth rather than his own individual achievements. Let's look at Philippians uh, chapter 2 here, um, verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, Paul wasn't saying that he was going to be taking sole credit for what the Philippians achieved in terms of spiritual growth, because back in chapter 1, Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6, in this same letter, Paul said, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like, he knows that it's God that's doing the work. Paul is just being a part of that. He's being a a facilitator and the communicator of God's truth to them. But it is God who is going to be working in the Philippians that will result that Paul and the believers from the Philippian church will be standing together in that day of Christ, standing before the Lord, and that Paul will be able to see then and forever evidence that his labor and his efforts and the race that he ran was not in vain. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter writes about this day of the Lord. Um, Verse 10, he says, "'But the day of the Lord will come like a thief.'" And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the day of the Lord, that reference that Paul was making, the day of the Lord refers to a time that is after this age. That It's talking about the new heavens, the new earth, the next world after the return of Jesus. It's looking past the grave. It's looking above the sun. 
that's when Paul is going to realize and be able to appreciate and feel proud that his labors and his toil and his race were not run in vain. But Peter makes the point that when that's going to happen is something that we're not going to be aware, you know, we're not going to be able to have that actual time down. I mean, people like to talk about prophecy in the book of Revelation and make these projections as to how long we're going to be here and when the Lord's going to come back. But Peter says that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. We're not going to be able to expect it or predict it. It's just going to happen. We don't know when that last opportunity will be to make that investment in people. You know, it's it's something that I think that we have this feeling that we always sort of know that we should be investing in the lives of people. Uh, we have plans. We have things that we want to do in the lives of our loved ones and our friends and people that we work with, people that we go to church with, people just people that we know in our neighborhood. We always think that we'll have time to make that investment in them. We'll have we'll have time to spend with them. We'll have time to minister to them. But we don't know. You know that's Peter's point. We don't know when that day of the Lord is going to come. We don't know when it's going to arrive. It's because it's coming in like a thief. And Solomon doesn't know when he's going to have to hand off everything that he put together to somebody new who comes after him, who may be wise or might be an idiot. It's an interesting thing to ponder, you know, to, to ask ourselves if we really knew, if we knew uh, when, the oppor- when that opportunity to make that investment in people was going to end, if God were to come down and say to us, look, this is when I'm coming back, I'm just letting you know you got six years or 60 years or six months. This is when this whole thing comes to an end. So whatever you want to get done between now and then, make sure that you get it done. That's kind of what Peter was getting at when he said, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You know, every day should be lived as if it is the last one you're going to have. You should take advantage of those opportunities to invest in the lives of people. You should take those opportunities to do the things that you've been planning to do because you don't know when that moment is going to come. It's going to come quickly, and it's going to come without notice, and it's not going to be something that we have any control over. Now, going back to Solomon's thing back in Ecclesiastes 2, he goes on, you know, he was upset about not knowing who he's going to have to leave it to. And if we pick back up in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 20, he's upset about something else. He says, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, pay attention to that, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Now, Solomon's making a point here. He's saying, look, I have toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill. In a sense, it's sort of an ill-gotten gain for that next person, even if they use it wisely. Remember, he was worried about whether he was going to be wise or a fool. Even if they use it wisely, we still have to understand that he was upset about the fact that this guy was getting the benefit of something that he had not earned. And he says, not only is that vanity, but it's a great evil. In Second Chronicles, we get a little bit of a look at who it was that came after Solomon. Uh, it was his son, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam, like I said before, wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. 
Um, and what he's known for is he's known for refusing to listen to the counselors. His his uh, he had people. You know, two sets of counselors. He had these older counselors who had counseled his father as well. Then he had some young men, some guys, his own contemporaries, who were helping him figure out what to do. And he didn't listen to those wiser voices, those older counselors who had counseled his father, but rather he chose to listen to his own peers and contemporaries and take some bad advice. And we see how it worked out here in Second Chronicles chapter 12, uh, down here in verses 9 and 10, it talks about... Um, it says, so Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. So the king of Egypt invaded Israel. It says, he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And in this particular case, it was something that Rehoboam basically let him do. So the kingdom wasn't destroyed. Rehoboam wasn't killed. But in order to have that happen, he basically stepped out of the way and allowed Shishak to come in and plunder the treasures of the house of the Lord and to take away the king's treasure. He, he Basically, he bought him off. He let him take what he wanted, you know, in terms of their wealth and their money, all these things that, by the way, Solomon was the one who had, in large part, you know, created. Solomon was the one who had built that temple. Solomon was the one that had created all of this wealth for the king. And yet now this was in the hands of the king of Egypt because Rehoboam couldn't do anything or didn't do anything about it. And in verse 10, it says, And King Rehoboam made in their place, this is in the place of the shields of gold, shields of bronze, and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. So in addition to allowing all of this wealth to go to Egypt, is no longer theirs, he had to suffer the indignity of making these dull bronze shields to replace the gold shields. And, you know, again, showing just how far the king had fallen. So, you know, Solomon was probably making a pretty good guess when he said the one that comes after me may be a fool. Um, and also that the one who comes after me would have this wealth that he didn't toil for. You know, that's another aspect of it is that Rehoboam let these things go pretty easy. And he did that in part because these weren't the works of his hand. He hadn't done that. He hadn't created this wealth. He hadn't built the house of the Lord. And so his desire to protect them and to and to use them wisely, it's like he didn't work hard for this stuff. It just came into his hands. And that's one of the, and that's one of the big reasons that Solomon was so upset about what was going to happen to his legacy. All these things that he'd put together were going to be wasted because they were given over into the hands of his son, who was going to squander them. You know, Solomon was in that position of having to say, I feel like I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my time. I'm doing all these things. I'm putting all this time into the, all this time and effort. And I know it's going to be for nothing because the grave is going to rob me of it. The grave is going to hand it over to the next guy. Everything that's done under the sun is going to be vanity. You know, we struggle sometimes with the same thing. We struggle with this idea of, hey, you know, we're wasting our lives um, because we're investing everything t at times into uh, what we can see and 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 touch and smell and feel and taste here in this world, and um, we're building this 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 legacy up, this enterprise up. You know, we're we're investing ourselves in creating something here that may well be good. You know, there's nothing about this that Solomon is saying these things are bad. 
He's just saying they're pointless because they're going to go to someone else. When I die, it goes to someone else. And that can make us feel like, why are we here? Why do we even try? Why are we wasting our time? You know, if we're not able to look above the sun, beyond the grave, to the day of the Lord, to that point where the things that we invest in, the things that we spend our time in, that we can see the value of them at some point in the future and forever, because the grave is not the end, it can feel like we're wasting our lives. And it can be very hard for us then to give away things and to give control of things that that we've worked hard for. One of the things that we struggle with in the church, especially in America, is generosity. You know, I don't mean to come back and, and kind of beat a dead horse there, but it is something that people are very touchy about. Don't talk about money. When you talk about money, I get uncomfortable. Well, why do you get uncomfortable? The Bible says that you're to honor God and worship God with a portion of everything that you earn. And it says beyond that, you're supposed to be generous. And suddenly we have a problem with that. Why? Well, because it's our money. We've worked for this. We've worked for our money. No, it's not your money. It's not your money. You've earned it and you get to keep it for a little while, but eventually you're going to die. You know what's going to happen then? It's going to be someone else's money. (laughs) It's going to be someone else's money. There's nothing that you can do to prevent that. Death is the undefeated heavyweight champion of, of death. You know, the death rate is one for one. He's batting a thousand percent. We're not going to be able to escape the grave. The question is going to be, what are you worried about now? Are you worried about those things that you can only carry with you for so long? Are we concerned about, you know, we're, we're hanging desperately onto things that we can't hang on to. We're desperate to keep and control and hang on to and, and, and maintain this wealth and these possessions and this life that we built for ourselves when we can't. And at the end, it's all going to be taken away from us. It's not until we look beyond that, not till we look you know, above the sun, beyond the grave, when we're able to have that perspective, then the things that we're doing, then the things that we invest in, in this life, that because the activities and the people and the stuff that we do, if it's things that are going to have that eternal impact, then we can be confident that it's not going to be wasted. And that not only is it not going to be wasted, but we're going to be able to enjoy it. As Paul said, when he's standing with the Philippians in the day of Christ, he's going to be able to see them and be proud that his race and his labor were not in vain. Let's jump back over to the passage in Philippians and see what Paul says next in. This is Philippians chapter 2, because even... Even if Paul would be martyred, he's going he's gonna to talk about that a little bit here. He was going to rejoice because he knew that his life was being poured out for the sake of the Philippians' faith. And, and back in Philippians chapter 2, down in verse 17, Paul writes, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You know, he would eventually be martyred. <laughs> You know, he that wasn't a, that wasn't a maybe. If that happens, um, first of all, let me just say this thing about a drink offering. If you're if that's a weird, you know, a drink offering, what like you know, like everybody goes cheers and clinks glasses. No, that's not what it's talking about. In Numbers chapter twenty eight, um, verses seven and eight, this drink offering is being described. It says, "Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen. That's a measurement for each lamb. In the holy place, you shall pour out." a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. 
The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, like the grain offering of the morning, like it, and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So the drink offering was part of the system of, sacrifice, of ceremonial sacrifices in the temple rituals of the Jews. And it was this idea, you pour out this drink as a sacrifice to the Lord. So Paul's getting at, even if my life is poured out like a sacrifice to the Lord, even if it's just literally, it's just poured out of a cup and gone in, a, in an instant, that's okay with me because it's, it's being done, that sacrifice is being done for the sake of your faith. When Paul was writing his letter to the church at Rome, um, in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The ESV, which, again, I'm picking a little bit on the ESV, um, says that uh, this this idea, this idea that we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is our it says our spiritual worship and um, that word that they translate spiritual uh, other translations translated as reasonable um, or logical the the Greek word there is actually logikos which is uh, a Greek word from which we get logical um, and so it does mean logical reasonable rational um, it could it definitely is spiritual he's saying that we're sacrificing ourselves spiritually not Physically, we're not actually going to lay down on an altar and sacrifice ourselves. Um, but it's a reasonable thing. This idea that we would be called upon to present ourselves sacrificially in service to God is something that Paul says is reasonable and rational. And when we take a step back and we start to ask ourselves about what it is we're going to do that's going to create a lasting impact, um, you know, Solomon created a big splash, right? Solomon created all of this wealth. He created this kingdom. He put together this amazing legacy that was handed over to a son that squandered it in large part. And even though it was a tremendous thing that he had done, he had done this, you know, it had a huge impact in his life and, and, you know, I guess in the impact, impact in the life of his son until his son wasted everything. But it wasn't a lasting impact. You know, Solomon put it all together, and then when Solomon was gone, it went to somebody else, and Rehoboam squandered it. So it wasn't a lasting impact. And that's, I think, what we want. I think that, that inside, you know, we are really motivated to have a lasting impact, to want to know that, that the things that we do, the things that we choose to invest ourselves in, you know, when we make ourselves into that living sacrifice, right? that it's going to be something that has a lasting impact. And that's something that happens when we do things that have an impact in heaven. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what's better, right? Is it better to have a Solomon-sized impact on the world? Solomon certainly, in terms of his footprint in the world, had a much bigger footprint than Paul did in his own lifetime. But look at the legacy of them. Paul was the apostle that went to the Gentiles. Paul's work with the Gentile church, it's like, folks, most of us that are going to these churches and listening to this podcast and interested in this particular subject matter, our legacy comes from the apostle Paul. We're talking about billions of people down through the ages impacted by the church of Jesus Christ, by the, by the Christian church, as a result of the work of the apostle Paul. 
we could talk about Solomon in like some kind of history lesson, but everything that Solomon ever did, long gone. You know, Sam's really good on the archaeology front. He really enjoys um, being read up on the latest of this stuff. And uh, he can give you all of the things that we've discovered about Solomon to show that he was a real character, that he there was a King Solomon over Israel, and that he was known for his wisdom, and he was known for his wealth and power. But Solomon's basically a history lesson for you and I. Solomon is somebody that we could talk about, we can think about, we can try to take object lessons from his life. But the impact that Paul had is an impact that we feel every single time that we go into our church. That's the legacy that Paul had. That's the impact that he had. It seems small in his lifetime. He was dealing with just handfuls of people in his lifetime. But because it was a legacy that was reaching beyond the grave and above the sun, it's a legacy that has stretched now for generation, for millennia, and, and affected scads of people and continues to to this day. That's the difference between a Solomon legacy and a Paul legacy. So in the end, we have to kind of compare where these two guys wound up, all right? So Ecclesiastes uh, 2, let's finish up that passage, verses 22 and 23 here, where Solomon, this is Solomon's conclusion. He writes, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Paul, in the passage in Philippians 2, in verse 18, he concludes with, Likewise, like this is in the, on the heels of, I'm being poured out as a drink offering for you. I'm glad and rejoice about that. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, Paul is, he's saying it doesn't really matter what happens to me. My legacy is not about me. Solomon is saying, look, it's all about me. (laughs) You know, what do I get out of this? I toil and strive and build all this up and my days are full of sorrow and my work just frustrates and worries me. And even at night, I can't sleep because I just know all of this stuff that I've put together is going to go to someone else and that guy's going to turn out to be an idiot. And even if he's not an idiot, he didn't do anything to deserve it. <laughs> that's what that's what Solomon's left with. And Paul is like, you know what? I'm being poured out for your sake and I'm rejoicing because that's good. And I think you should rejoice and be glad with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's not going to be about what we put together in this life. But he goes on in verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, Paul's making the point there that I've given up everything. I've given up wealth, status, power. 
to pour myself out on behalf of these Philippians, in this case, these people that I'm ministering to in these churches. I'm sacrificing myself for their faith to leave that lasting legacy that goes above the sun and beyond the grave. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with everything I've given up, money, status, power. It's fine. I'm rejoicing and you should rejoice with me because Christ was raised from the dead. It only makes sense to get focused on this world and consumed with this life if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead. But the resurrection is real. The resurrection exists. And because of that, it gives purpose to what we do that has a small impact in this life, but a big impact in the next. You know, King Solomon had all the things that Paul gave up, money, status, power, and he found no value in them. So what kind of things keep you up at night? What are the things that when you lay there awake and you can't get to sleep, what are the things that are preying on your mind? And what would you do? What would you be willing to give up to gain satisfaction and joy? Yeah, I've mentioned before the story of Jim Elliott, who's one of the missionaries that lost his life in the 1950s, uh, going down to take the gospel to a tribe of indigenous people in uh, Central America. You know, he was martyred for his faith. He died so that these people could hear the gospel. And in fact, they did. The uh, The indigenous people, they called themselves the Waodani. Um, it was Jim Elliott's widow and his children who eventually went in and lived among them. And that legacy lasts to this day as you've got this, this, this tribe of indigenous people who have this vibrant faith in Christ and who will live for eternity because of the sacrifice that, uh, that Jim Elliott made. And, and one of my very favorite quotes came from this guy. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We'll let that stand as the last word for this week on Out of Water and our look at Ecclesiastes and Philippians as we continue to go along with the series All Things New, which is taking place right now at Rio Vista Community Church. And I'd like to remind you that uh, you can find all the back episodes of Out of Water on our website at riovistachurch.com slash water. Or you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or on Spotify. Um, if you have any uh, questions or comments, things you'd like to share, maybe after listening to this day, today's message, like don't ever come here again by yourself, Mark, make sure that Sam's always here with you, um, well, then feel free to share. Our email address is outofwater um, at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O-vistachurch.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It's a, it's a great thing to hear from people that listen to the podcast. It's very encouraging to us as we try to put these things together to know that people out there are listening and that they are enjoying it and that they're learning something from it. Sam and I will be back next week with another in the series of All Things New, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.